Greetings, everyone. Happy Culture Cast Day, happy Black History Month, and happy birthday plus one day. Frederick Douglass, I am sitting here with a dear friend and icon, Kenneth B. Morris Jr. I'm going to call you Kenny. And Kenneth B. Morris Jr. is the co founder and president of the Frederick Douglass Family Foundation. And we are here and what I will underscore or understate for an epic, epic week. Not only is it celebrating Frederick Douglass's birthday, but I'm going to just let you talk about it. Why it is epic. And actually, one more thing I do want to say, and it might be the first time live. Um, Kenneth is also the leader of an organization called The Descendants. So I'm going to tease it out, and I'm going to toss it to you and just talk about you and let this be. Thank you, Marisa. Well, before I, yeah. we jump into the week, I think it's really important that um, we talk about my ancestors. I'm the great, great, great grandson of Frederick Douglass, and I'm also the great, great grandson of Booker T. Washington and co-founder, as you said, president of our family organization, Frederick Douglass Family Initiatives. And we're an abolitionist and anti-racist organization with a mission to build strong children, to end systems of exploitation and oppression. And that part of the mission to build strong children comes from Frederick Douglass's famous quote, which is one of my favorite. It's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. And I'll add to that broken women as, yeah. as well. And you mentioned we're a day removed from Frederick Douglass's birthday. So I'm going to talk uh, a little bit about why it is we celebrate his birthday on the yeah. 14th. I love that. Because he didn't, he didn't know when he was born. He was born into slavery with the name Frederick Augustus Washington Bailey. And um, he had only seen his mother a handful of times his whole life. He had been separated from her when he was a little boy, as actually an infant. And she worked on a plantation that was 12 miles away. So in order for her to see her son, she would have to work in the fields, picking cotton from sunup to sundown, walk 12 miles in the middle of the night, and then spend just a few precious moments with him until he would fall asleep. And then she would have to walk 12 miles back so she could be back on the plantation by the time the sun came, came up. Because if she wasn't, she most likely was going to face punishment. And so the few times that she saw him, she used to call him her little Valentine. Oh. And so when he decided he was going to uh, celebrate his birthday, he chose February 14th. And so that's why uh, we celebrate his birthday on the 14th. And then another, I think, interesting yeah. point around all of that is the reason that we celebrate Black History Month in February. At our organization, I spent a lot of time in schools just having conversations and dialogues with students all across the country in every corner of the country and whenever i ask the question why do we celebrate black history month in february they most commonly respond by saying because it's the shortest month of the yeah, year right and that and then and then they say that's what they gave us and so what? so i okay. i always like to uh, you know gently correct them and say no it's a month that we actually took um, dr carter g woodson okay who in 1926 wanted to have black history into the curriculum, to the history curriculum. He chose the second week of February to start something called Negro History Week. And yep. he chose that week because it was President Lincoln's birthday on the 12th and Frederick Douglass's birthday on the 14th. And then that evolved into 
what we now call Black History Month or African American yeah. History Month. And so that's why we celebrate it in February. I love that you explained that. I think a lot of people, when you share that information, they didn't, they don't realize that. And there's a significance around it. And so um, I also want to jump into how the heck are you a descendant of both <laughs> Frederick Douglass and Booker T. Washington? So what's that all about? Yeah, well, that's a great yeah. question. And, you know, when I meet people for the first time, that's typically the question I get. Well, actually, I get two questions. Yeah. So the first question is, you're related to Frederick Douglass and to Booker T. Washington. Yeah. Well, what do you do? Oh, <laughs> So okay. they want to know. It's You must be doing something great. And if you're not, you better be. Oh, wow. So there's a, that kind of. Uh, expectation or weight placed upon my shoulders uh, to do great things, to be um, iconic like my ancestors, which is a very difficult task. And we could perhaps talk about that a little bit that. later. Yeah. But as far as how I'm related to both of them, it happened on my mother's side of the family. So you ready for this? I'm so ready for okay. this. And by the way, I love your mom. Yes, she's got a chance amazing. to meet her. Yeah. Yeah, she's here with us this week. So her mother, Nettie Hancock Washington, um, is Booker T. Washington's granddaughter, and her father, Frederick Douglass III, is Frederick Douglass's great-grandson. And so her parents, oh my, my grandparents, met in 1941 at Tuskegee Institute, which is a school that Booker T. Washington founded in 1881. Yeah. Yeah. At, by the way, he was only 25 years old when he started that school. And so my, this is a great story, and my, my mother tells it a lot better than I do, but so the, the story goes, my, my grandmother had been born um, in the hospital on campus. She was living in California at the time, but she was home for summer vacation in Tuskegee, Alabama. My grandfather, who was a surgeon, he had been commissioned down to Tuskegee by the Veterans Administration during World War yeah. II. And he had decided this evening that he was going to eat in a student cafeteria, which is a place he had never eaten in before. And so he's strolling to get something to eat. My grandmother was meeting friends. And so she was always, you know, really just hectic and, and yeah. active. And so she's rushing across campus and they literally bumped into each other. Didn't know that the other descended from an historic family. They fell in love at first sight oh my and wound up getting married just three months later. And I always like to tell students when I, I talk to them, and I, I always said this to my two daughters, do not get married to somebody having only known them for three months. <laughs> <laughs> but that's exactly what happened. Well, they got yeah. married. And then when my mother was born, Nettie Washington Douglas, she united the bloodlines of the families. She was an only child. So I have the honor and privilege oh, and wow. blessing to be the first male to carry the dual lineage. Oh my gosh. I so love that you shared that story about how um, your mother became the first to unite the families and then now you're carrying on the dual lineage. Just lesson for everybody. Cause I know, I, I mean, I talked to a lot of people. I think for those who do know me, I mean, I'm a people person. And by the way, I love love, but I love it when people meet each other, whether it's, um, for a romantic and hopefully family relationship someday, or you know, great relationships where you can do work together. But that is, I think, one of the most unique meet cute stories <laughs> that I've ever heard. Yeah. So again, I'm a big believer in, look, I think the universe sometimes puts a little nudge your way. Mm -hmm. And when you think about that, like your great grandfather, um, wasn't,
thinking to go eat at this place. And he's, oh, I'm just going to change direction and go do that. Right. Right. And then your great, great grandmother, like, okay, let's, let's just go hang out and then run into him. Yeah. So I just think like the universe sometimes puts messages out there mm -hmm. and I think it was truly meant to be yes. that they were meeting. So I love that meet you story. It's amazing. Yeah. We absolutely believe that it was meant to be. And it would be many, many years later that we would start to, um, you know, really think about yeah. putting together a family organization. My mother has, since uh, she was a little girl, carried that torch um, in moving the legacies forward. I remember the first photograph that I ever saw of her. She wasn't even two years old. Oh, wow. And she was breaking ground for the Booker T. Washington um, National Historic Site in Virginia. And then from there, she was always out there doing these Black or first Negro History okay. Week events. And as she uh, got older and then started to have children, I'm the oldest of three. Okay. I have a younger brother and sister. That became her, as she would say, job of choice. Yeah. And um, and then once we started to get older, she started to go back into schools. And, and that's where she loved to be, was always in front of young people and students uh, just talking about this incredible history. I, I think it's amazing too. I think about your lineage and your mom's lineage and, you know, Frederick Douglass, who actually taught himself to read, right? Yes. And mm -hmm. in doing so, I mean, I, it's an amazing story just to actually walk away, hop on a train and escape. Yes. Because he was just so well educated and so well read, all self-taught, right? All yeah. self-taught. Well, we know from our U.S. history that it was illegal to teach an enslaved yes. person to read and write. And Frederick, in his first autobiography, The Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass, an American Slave, which was first published in 1845, he talks about a moment that he describes as divine providence in his favor. Yeah. And, and this is really at the foundation of all of the work that we do um, at our organization. And the story that he wrote about was he was had been born on the eastern shore of Maryland, mm -hmm. again, with the, the name Frederick Augustus Washington Bailey. He would change his name to Douglas after escaping to make it harder for his enslaver to track him down. But at the age of about eight or nine, and I have to use an age range yeah, because, yeah. again, he didn't know That's his right. birthday. So he writes, I was chosen by divine providence to go to Baltimore to be the house servant for his master's family. And he said, I was the first, last, and only choice because his enslaver had more than a thousand um, enslaved Africans across all of the various yeah. farms that he owned. So there were lots of children, yeah. but he was chosen. He goes to Baltimore and the importance of this move was he was going to be in the big city. He would be around free black children. He would be around poor white children. Yeah. But most importantly, when he gets there, his slave mistress, Sophia all had never had a slave before. Yeah. Didn't know that it was illegal to teach him to read and write. And just out of the kindness of her Christian heart, oh my she was already teaching her young son, Tommy, how to, to read and write. And there's Frederick Bailey, just wide-eyed and ready to learn. And here's a really important part that isn't necessarily communicated when the story is told. Yeah. And this is a nuanced point that he asked her to teach him. And so this, did. this was in my mind, his first instance of self-liberation. Wow. And so she begins to teach him his ABCs. The lessons continue for a little while. And then his enslaver finds out about him, Hewald, and you know what comes next. Yeah. He gets angry, he gets mad, and he looks at his wife and he looks at young Frederick. And he said, 
you cannot teach a slave how to read and write because if you do, it will unfit him to be a slave. And so Frederick heard that message right. loud and clear and he looked at his enslaver and he thought, hmm, if you don't want me to have this, I'm going to do everything in my power to gain it. And he understood right then and there that knowledge is power, which is a yes. message we hear today, and that education equals freedom. Yes. Education equals liberation. Education equals emancipation. And he would teach himself to read and write. I mean, that's an empowering and inspiring story. I know that in our conversations, what I've taken away from you is, and it actually connects the dots between the two families too, which education is freedom. I love that. Education is liberation. And I think about on the Booker T. Washington side, the, the fact that he was a young man founding a university that is all about education. And I'm thinking about your mom kind of going back to when I know it's kind of, you know, I'm circling around it, but your mom was an activist at two years old. Yeah. Right. If you think about it. Yeah. And an way. educator at the same time. Right. And so, and then of course her job of choice was to become a mother and raise an amazing family. And then look at the greatness coming out of your family. And I think it's the two coming together. And yeah. I've experienced that, you know, in our conversations and, and hanging out with you. So that's wild. Booker, yeah. yeah. Well, the education piece is, is really uh, the most important part of it, yeah. which continues today. It's relevant today. And both of my ancestors understood from a very young age that education equaled freedom. And for Booker T and his story is incredible just as well. Uh, Frederick Douglass, he becomes the leading voice of the abolitionist movement, and he's working with uh, President Lincoln during the Civil War to push Lincoln to the yes. point where he would sign the Emancipation Proclamation on January 1st, 1863. And that proclamation freed those that were enslaved in the states that were in rebellion to the Union. Yeah. It didn't free everybody that was enslaved in the border states, but those states that stayed with the Union did not free those people, but Booker T was in Virginia. He was freed and he wanted to go to school so badly. He's about nine years old yeah. that he worked in the salt and coal mines of West Virginia at night so that he could begin to take his lessons during the day. And he's continuing to get educated. And then one night he's in these mines and he hears these two older gentlemen talking about this place called Hampton Institute in Virginia, where um, he could get an education or what they would call yeah. an industrial education. Okay. Um, those people that were enslaved, teaching them a trade, teaching, giving them tools so that they can make, ha have a stake in yeah. the nation's growing economy. Now to Booker T, he had no idea what that type of education meant, but to him, Hampton sounded like heaven. And so oh, wow. he, <laughs> he literally thought it was heaven. And so with the help of community members and some money that he had saved, he made a 500 mile walk to go to school and that walk took a long time. He ran out of money on several occasions. He had to take odd jobs along the way. He slept outside, he slept under bridges. And the message, a message to young people when they hear that story is that there was no challenge too great, right. um, no obstacle that was insurmountable for him to overcome to get an education. And so he finally gets to Hampton and he goes straight to the headmistress of the school. And he wants, he said, I wanna go to school here. She looks yeah. at him. His clothes are torn, he's disheveled, he's dirty, probably didn't smell mm -hmm. so great. And she said, young man, you're not worthy to go to school here. But he wasn't going to take no for an answer. And she tried to shoo him away. He would come back the next day. She shoes him away again. And he keeps coming back and coming back. And then finally she said, 
I can see you're not going to take no for an answer. Yeah. I'm going to give you an opportunity to prove yourself. There's a dirty classroom down oh, the hallway. No. Go clean that. And he had learned the value of hard work. And he was now going to put those skills to test that he'd learned in working in the coal mines. And so he cleaned and he cleaned. And she went in there to do what they used to do back in the day, the white glove oh, test. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Looking for the, yeah. the Let me just dust or the yeah, dirt. Yeah. yeah. She couldn't find one speck of dust. That room was pristine. And she said, okay, you've proven yourself. And not only that, we're going to give you the job as a janitor so you can work your way through school. And so he started Hampton at the age of 16 years old. Oh, my goodness. And literally put himself through school. Put like, him, yeah. Right? Yeah, he worked. Yeah. yeah. He put himself through school. He would graduate three years later. He would come back to Hampton to teach. And then in 1881, he got word that there was a group of people down in Tuskegee that had some money to start a school down there that would be modeled after yeah. Hampton's industrial education. And they got word back that you, this guy, Booker T at Hampton is the man for the job. And he rushes down to Tuskegee and gets to work uh, starting and founding Tuskegee Institute. Oh my goodness. There's so many lessons learned here too. Just hearing that story and there's correlations with, um, with Frederick Douglass as well. I think about, um, for young people, especially children, right? When they're younger and going, getting into adolescence, there is value in that curiosity mm -hmm. and openness and hearing about Hampton University or Institute and thinking it was heaven. And then even um, Frederick hearing about, well, if I'm educated, then I'm unfit to be a slave, mm -hmm. to just carry on to that, right? And like grab onto that. Yeah. And then I also think about the value of hard work. I mean, literally the value of hard work mm -hmm. that um, I think, again, it's the energy and the, the reps and the practice that you put out there, I think just generally, because people think, oh, things happen right. for me, like things are going to fall out of the air, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think about, I was thinking about like, okay, we had audio issues. Okay, whatever. Right. right? Yeah, you got to <laughs> like, just keep yeah, rolling. Like, yeah. You just keep rolling. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a 500 mile walk mm -hmm. and sleeping wherever, not eating or eating whatever. Right. Like, and getting to that point where then you have to continue to prove yourself and yeah. keep showing up. Well, that speaking, is, yeah, yeah, so speaking of the value of hard yeah. work. So, and Frederick Douglass was a quote machine, yeah. but another quote that, that I love, he was enslaved for 20 years, first 20 years of his life. And he later wrote, he said, I prayed for 20 years, but my prayers weren't answered until I prayed with my legs. And what he meant by yeah. that, he was praying for deliverance, praying to God for deliverance from his bondage and from his chains. And when he made the decision to finally run away, yeah. With his legs, his prayers were answered. So that goes to what you're talking about. Yes. You know, the value of hard work. You can't just want a job, yes. but then not get off the couch and go find right. a job. So right. And I know in in my career experience and in coaching younger people who, you know, there's this immediacy of like, well, I'm I'm new in my job, but I want to get promoted and I want to move up. And a lot of it is you know, be excellent mm -hmm. and even more so what you do today and learn everything that you can, Yeah, be, you know, because I think the next thing follows when that happens. So, and, and there's also a value and I've been having conversations with all the peeps we've been hanging out with this week, <laughs> that perseverance is also very important yeah. and, it, and, um, pursuing, like having that, uh, 
perseverance and drive mm -hmm. to continue to ask for things when maybe it's not your turn yet. I think it's a combination of both. It, yeah. it has to be a combination of both. And all of our ancestors and mine, you know, have notoriety, which of course I'm very proud of. And as we've been talking about over the yeah. past couple of days that we've been together with our group, you know, all of us descend from somebody that made a difference, somebody that may have given up their lives for the freedoms that we do have given up their lives just so that some of us can sit in a classroom yes. and get an education. And when we're in schools talking to young people, we want them to uh, understand that they have greatness flowing through their veins yeah. as well. And that we all stand on the shoulders of those that came before us. And that has been that common theme yes. that we've been talking about this week, as well as this idea that by birthright, all of us have an obligation to carry our history forward because there's still, as we know, a lot of work still to be done. Um, we're living in a country that is as divided as it's been in a long time. Yeah. And the rhetoric um, that's out there that's racist, sexist, xenophobic, and just this idea of trying to divide and conquer and, and split us apart as a country, as a society. And I believe, because we've talked about yeah. this a lot, that the spirit of all of our ancestors and the spirit of Frederick Douglass and Booker T. Washington and Anna Murray Douglass, my great, great, great grandmother, Olivia Davidson, my great, great grandmother, <laughs> and all of the women that are, are and were in my life, uh, that spirit lives in all of us. And as we move forward and talk about the things that we'll um, work on with the Descendants yes. Project, uh, the things that we work on, the projects and initiatives at Frederick Douglass Family Initiatives, I truly believe that that spirit can be a healing balm on our nation's wounds. And this is kind of this idea, this bigger picture vision that we move forward with. I love it. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, especially today, 2024, yeah, the nation is wounded. You know, there was divisiveness, polarization. Mm -hmm. And I think it's okay to have different opinions, but it's not okay to not be kind, yes, right, right, to each other. And I, I think that's the difference. Like people just don't have the patience to hold space for each other, mm -hmm. even if there's a difference of opinion. And I think that's the beauty of, and we'll jump into how epic and unreal, but historic, like this week has been. Yeah, and instead yeah. of me saying it, I would rather you because we have been following your lead, my friend, <laughs> and we have been like of service to this vision. So let's talk about the Descendants Project and what the heck happened this week. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, again, as yeah. I start, as I started, um, you know, because of my unique connection to history, I always like to start with the history. Yeah. So to get to where we um, were this week and where we're going forward, um, the start of that history really is uh, this idea that when I was a, a little boy, I was not really that connected to my history. Yeah. The few times that I told people of my relationship when I was younger, nobody ever believed me. And I never thought that it was a, a point worth arguing. And um, But I did, at about five or six years old, started to notice that my ancestors were on statues and, and postage I mean, stamps. That. Know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, schools were named for them, bridges and libraries. And I would ask my, my friends and classmates, are your grandparents on statues? And of course, they would say uh, no. And I really... Okay, I'm going to share this. Yeah, share it. So I talked about the happy love story yeah. of my grandparents uh, coming together and getting married, ha having only known each other for three months. But there's also a tragic side um, to the story, and that is my grandfather, the surgeon, 
um, the namesake of Frederick Douglass. People expected him to be an iconic leader like his great grandfather. Yeah. And um, they placed this weight of expectation on his shoulders, which he always walked around with. But there's only one Frederick Douglass. And when my grandmother was three months pregnant with my mom, that weight became too much for him to carry and he took his own life. Oh no. And so my um, mother was born without a father and raised without a father. And then when I came along with this dual lineage, my uh, parents, grandparents, great grandparents uh, were going to go, you know, really in the opposite direction and kind of place this, what I call a formidable she shield around yeah. us to protect us from these, these legacies. And so I really was decisively disengaged from my ancestry until divine providence yeah. called in my life. And that was much later in life. I had started an advertising and marketing company, uh, which was doing really well. I was happy to be a father and, and a husband. I'll celebrate 40 years of marriage in, in May. Amazing. Uh, this coming yeah. May. So I was good with that. Yeah. You know, go to church on Sunday and don't talk to me about this Douglas and Washington stuff. But in 2005, I read a National Geographic magazine, and the cover story was um, entitled 21st Century Slaves. Yeah. And it was an article about human trafficking um, existing all over the world, including here in the United States. And that article just floored me. Like, it hit me squarely between the eyes. And I'd heard about trafficking in far-off places. Sure. But um, didn't really think about the impact that it had in this country. And that it was the idea was that it is modern-day slavery. And so I wanted to learn more about it. And I just started reading articles and, you know, devouring as much information as yeah. I could. And there was one night that changed the whole trajectory of my life. And that was I was sitting in my living room and I was reading an article about a 12 year old girl who was forced to be a sex slave in the yeah. brothels of Southeast Asia. And my older daughter, Jenna, was 12. So same age. And my younger daughter, Nicole, was nine. And I could hear them down the hallway. Yeah getting ready for bed and they were laughing and playing and about to get tucked safely into bed. And I'm reading this story about this 12 year old girl and my mind just starts racing and I can't wrap my brain around what I'm reading and what I'm hearing. Yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, that's what young girls should be doing is getting, and boys yeah. should be getting tucked safely into bed and not being forced into bed to service some sick yeah. individual. And when I walked in to say goodnight to my, my daughters, I had this moment where I couldn't, even look them in the eyes and I couldn't look them in the eyes and walk away and not do something about this. And it was immediately that I understood that I had this platform that my ancestors had built through struggle and through sacrifice. And perhaps we could leverage the historical significance of my ancestry to do something about this. So yeah. it's kind of this aha moment, Frederick Douglass, the great abolition, abolitionist on one side, Booker T. Washington, the great yes. educator on the other side, abolition through education. Mm -hmm. How can we unfit communities to allow slavery to exist and thrive? Remember that story about uh, yes. young Frederick yep. Bailey? Education will unfit him to be a slave. Yes. So my mom and I started the Frederick Douglass Family Foundation initiatives yeah. in 2007, and we were off and running. And um, so that's that foundational piece of how we started. And our primary work has been human trafficking prevention education yeah. in K through 12 schools. We have the most comprehensive human trafficking uh, prevention education program that exists. So Amazing. I, I'm going to stop with that because we yeah. can transition into the Descendants I, Project. But that's really where all of this started. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that's when I first met you and I was learning about this for the first time. 
and how, you know, and I think a theme that I'm beginning to understand and beginning to learn, having spent time with other descendants, is um, the legacy, right? And the and the weight. And I'm I'm I guess I didn't realize the story about your grandfather. Um, anyway, I didn't realize that story, but I, I think about um, the weight of legacy and mm -hmm. how I've heard that theme of families wanting to shield that with, you know, the, the young ones growing up. And mm -hmm. then at some point at, as an adult, I think it's a calling, right? Yeah. Um, that happens. Um, and then it's this realization like, oh, my life also includes, you know, mm -hmm. what my, what my ancestors did and how do I bring that to life in modern day, which you did absolutely. You know, that's what clicked for you. And now here you are stepping into it. Well, back then, right. fully stepping into it now, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I think um, because I found the mission on my own, yeah. it's more meaningful yeah. um, than it would have, would have been had it been forced on me. I agree. So um, let's talk about your mission and the next evolution of this. So I think it's amazing that it's the most comprehensive education for K through 12 students mm -hmm. to learn about how they can, um, that how communities can be unfit mm -hmm. for creating environments where that happens, you know, where, yeah. where human trafficking, sex trafficking happens at that age. And now it's evolved to, all right, how do you help others kind of find their calling mm -hmm. and other descendants like you? Yeah. So let's talk about that. Yeah. And yeah. the um, human trafficking education is all age appropriate and people, you know, get shocked um, to think that you have to educate somebody that is as young as five, five and six years old, but we do, unfortunately. And yeah. so the idea behind the Descendants Project really came early on when we started our organization and uh, we thought, you know, how can we connect with other descendants and get back to this idea of leveraging the historic significance of our ancestry and this platform yeah. that has been afforded to us to work collectively on issues that we're most concerned about. And as we started to put ourselves out there, I started to meet various descendants and have conversations about the great work they're doing to um, help preserve and teach about their ancestors' legacy. But then I also started to find that there was a lot of commonality in our story, yeah. <clears throat> getting back to the pressure and the weight and just trying to step into our own shoes and out of the shadows, these very vast shadows of our ancestors. And so we started talking about something called the Descendants Project that we could pull um, people together and start to collectively work on issues. But at the time, it, it never really came um, to fruition. We didn't have the resources yeah. uh, to be able to support it. We were trying to get our organization going, which was very difficult to find funding initially because not many people get passionate or excited about funding prevention, yeah. preventing the exploitation and um, brutality before it happens, the victimization before it happens. So it kind of died. And then I met our mutual yeah. friend, uh, Joshua Jordison, and this was in 2018. He just cold called me out right. of the blue like he does. Yeah, <laughs> that's what he does. And um, we we had lunch and he said, you know, I've got, the, I've had this idea ruminating in my mind for a while about bringing together descendants. And I said, I've had the same idea. 
So we started talking about how we could work together to make it happen. And we started planning and then COVID hit and derailed everything like it did for everybody. And um, maybe about six months ago, Josh said to me, hey, let, let's do this and, and make this happen. And I had met you when you yeah. were still at uh, Chipotle and, you know, we had um, had conversations yes. and started to develop a friendship. And he said, you know, let's pull Marisa in on this and and let's make this happen for February. And I thought he was talking about February 2025 because I'm used <laughs> right? to planning at least oh, a year yeah. in advance. But he said, no, February 2024. And so you guys got to work and behind the scenes, I don't even know, you know, maybe you want to talk about all yeah. of that, but it was just amazing that, that um, the team that yeah. we developed and all of the passionate people who have been working yes. as volunteers, uh, working pro bono said, yes, let's make this happen over two days in Washington, DC. And here we are. Yeah, it was amazing. And, um, what I would say to that is, yes, Joshua, and I think that he was meant to meet you because that was also a passion of him. And at some point, we'll have him on and we'll have him tell his story. But I think about the conversations that we've been having, and I know that when you founded the um, Family Foundation or the initiatives, that this was an idea. And it just, to your point, was really difficult because I remember I met you right as we were going into COVID and then we, COVID happened, et cetera. And then, you know, actually beginning, yeah, it was beginning of last year where it's kind of like, we should fire up and do this. Right. And it was just one of those. Yeah. Everyone's now gathering and coming together. Let's just pick this right back up. Right. Mm -hmm. And to your point, I don't know. I mean, it just happened so quickly <laughs> once yeah. the idea came together and we were pulling the right people and resources. And I think when you have, you know, you said this about your own choosing and your own calling, if it's something that you're passionate about, it's going to freaking happen. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah, the universe pulls it together. Yeah. And, and it's it like, articulate that vision. What are we doing? How are we going to do this? And to your point, all the people who've been involved um, over the last couple of days who were either behind the scenes, helping to pull this together. And there's a few kind of sitting here in the room with mm -hmm. us and um, other organizations and leaders as well, who were committed to this idea. And it's just an idea. Right. Right. That came together. I think it just says a lot when you just put that statement out there and you put the right people together mm -hmm. to make it happen. And, you know, for those of you who I know were doing your research when you're like, all right, well, what's Kenneth B. Morris doing with Marisa on CultureCast? <laughs> the headlines were astounding two days ago mm -hmm. because, and I'll say it, but I think about in the first time in history for the United States of America, here we're sitting in Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, for the first time ever, the descendants of iconic civil, black civil rights leaders are coming together for the first time and meeting each other. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. It was an historic event for sure. Yeah. But just the beginning. And, you know, bringing everybody together, we just wanted to make sure, um, you know, we treated all of the descendants with the respect and dignity that they deserve. So we did a number of events. We had the tour at the uh, Smithsonian Museum of African-American History and Culture yesterday. That was amazing. Uh, we've had some amazing uh, dinners. We were last night with the RFK Center and they hosted us uh, with their board members. Their board, me um, their board meeting starts tomorrow, today actually. And we just had 
um, a number of activities. We were at the Lincoln Memorial. Yeah. Um, please remind me if I'm forgetting any well, of the other the things. Well, the U.S. Capitol. Yeah, U.S. Capitol. And then yeah. I think a highlight of the visit oh, at yeah. the White House mm -hmm. was... How can I forget that yeah, one? Hello. <laughs> yeah, hello. That's where um, we kicked it off. <laughs> I know. President Kamala Harris just welcoming the group in. Yeah. And I love this story that she told about again, the responsibility and the accountability that we have mm -hmm. from, you know, everything that you've been talking about, about carrying and following through um, from our ancestors and passing the baton. Yeah. So she talked about that. Um, and that to me, I kind of just really stuck with me that it's not just on one person mm -hmm. and that it's about us being there yeah. to kind of pick it up and, and, and work with and each other. Run, and run off, run with with it. Yeah. It. Yeah. I love how you, um, already anointed her president. <laughs> oh my goodness, Vice President Kamala Harris. Oh my gosh, that probably was a Freudian slip. Yeah, but right. Okay, right. You all know what I think. Anyway, yeah, right. Yeah, but yeah. She truly uh, spoke from the heart, and that was so nice uh, of her. Um, you know, to be a part of this this historic event. And as I said, it, it's just the beginning. Um, what I had hoped to accomplish over the couple of days was to see how we all vibe together. Yes. And we just started to have conversations about what this looks like moving forward. So the next step will be to come together again where we actually have planning sessions yes. and um, think about what this looks like as far as the entity moving forward. Totally. But I wanna make sure that all of the descendants, I don't wanna create any kind of hierarchy in this organization. Sure. All of the descendants' voices will carry the same weight. But I think the most important thing about what we'll be doing is the collective voice that we'll be bringing together. I agree. And I, and you know, Josh had said this to me and I agree that the descendants will be able to speak with a moral authority that will be very hard to impugn on about those issues that we are concerned about. And so I'm just so excited about what this can become. I know there have been, as we were talking yeah. with the descendants over the past couple of days, uh, they had indicated to me that there had been other um, opportunities or efforts uh, to try and make this happen. And they all were just so excited that we actually did this, that we brought everybody together. Yeah, I, I think it's pretty amazing. And I love the approach. I think it's the timing. I think it's the energy. And I agree with you. You know, there are a lot of expectations from people on the outside who, quite frankly, couldn't make it. But, you right. know, they're like, what are you going to do? And what's really going to happen? And a lot of it is, and I say this all the time. Part of it is you've got to lean into the energy, right? Mm -hmm. And I think the energy that I felt and that I experienced hanging out with all of the descendants, all of the guests who care about this so much as well. We had over a hundred people yeah. in our group, right? Yeah. And then there was over a hundred people at the White House, right? Like right. who they, that joined. Um, and I just think about I my jam is how do you bring this group together and co-create mm -hmm. this vision? that you're all about and then how do we fall in behind mm. and provide that level of support to really accomplish this shared vision and i think you can't define that until you come together and feel that right and i think that's what this week was all about and i think about you know it was very touching for me and a uh, poignant and emotional moment for me um i was fortunate to just be present and hang out with Reverend Parker Wheeler, mm, yeah. yeah, who is the cousin yeah. of Emmett Till. And here we were, and it, it was just, just so happened 
you know, my husband, Michael was hanging out with him. And um, I know his wife had to stay back just to, she's like, you go to the Smithsonian. And so I ran into them during the tour and it, I got to chat with him more specifically. And then we happened to be at that part of the exhibit, which was the memorial for Emmett Till. And um, to experience that firsthand, you know, there's yeah. in, in, inside that part of the museum is the original casket for Emmett Till. And um, there's also uh, stories that are being told, including with his voice. So there's mm -hmm. recordings from the family. And then there was montages and videos of the neighborhood, the house, Yes, you know, yeah. where he was also there mm -hmm. and telling that as story. As a 16 year old As boy. a 16 year old boy. And we're looking at this video and it would loop and we'd come to the house where they all were sleeping. And he said, my cousin was in this side of the house. I was across the hall on this side. And it could he's like, it could have been any one of us. Mm -hmm. So uh, to bring this forward, I think for him to be able to tell this story in detail firsthand, you know, and also what I've shared with people, and I said this to him last night and his, and his wife, I just hanging out with him, I just felt so calm and peaceful. Mm -hmm. And I, I think I might've shared this with you too. He was giving me dad vibes. Like yeah. he reminds me yeah. of, you know, what I know about my dad, you know, joy and calm and peace, even in telling these stories. And I don't know if that makes sense to you, it, it but makes to a just, lot of sense. Yeah. you know, to carry in that way and be so factual about what happened in his experience through storytelling was powerful for me. It was amazing. He um, is such a beautiful spirit and and man, he he and his wife, and he's in is his 80s now. And when I think about my connection to history and, yeah. and I talk about being the great, great, great grandson, and it sounds like I'm far removed and I always talk to young people and I want them to, to understand how close we are to this history and I have a great grandmother that knew Frederick Douglass and an aunt that was Booker T. Washington's daughter. And I knew them well. And I always say I stand one person away from each man. But when you think about Pastor Wheeler Parker, he is like, he's right there at that history. He was there that night, as you yeah. said. And when they, um, those racists broke in uh, to that house and then uh, took away Emmett Till and then lynched him. He was right there and all of these years later you know to have to relive that tra yeah. trauma that experience but what he's doing is he's telling the stories and helping people to understand yeah um you know what happened and i think that's really what the descendants can can do it's a very powerful connection to history we had descendants of rosa parks harriet tubman um thomas jefferson and sally hemmings um, we had descendants of Harry Belafonte um, and Jesse Jackson and and many more. Yeah, Ida B. Wells. Ida B. I, Wells, yeah. It's incredible. And actually, it was phenomenal. And if our friends at RFK Center for Human Rights are participating in this in this webcast, thank you for your graciousness last night. That was amazing too. Mm -hmm. Spending time with Carrie Kennedy right. and her board. And you know, every board member that I had the chance to have a conversation with. We're just astounded by mm -hmm. this vision that will unfold 
yes. coming from the Descendants Project. Well, I, I want to thank you on behalf oh. of my family, the family of Frederick Douglass and Booker T. Washington. And we never forget the women, Anna Murray Douglass and Olivia Davidson as well, for everything that you did and your uh, team, your colleagues, and everybody that's been behind the scenes that have contributed their passion, their talents, their creativity to make this happen. And that really has been the missing piece of organizing this together. Yeah. And this is why I'm really confident moving forward uh, because you all are so talented at what you do that this will happen. It will continue um, to snowball and we will move forward in a way that we can impact this nation um, and guide this nation, I believe, toward um, this idea of reconciliation and healing. But also before we get there, yeah. we have to have a reckoning of our past and a truth telling about the true history um, in this country of the genocide of Native American peoples, um, the, the oppression and enslavement over 400 years yeah. of people of African descent. And when we are coming with that historical connection and narrative, we can begin to have those conversations in spite of the book bans that are happening, in spite of sure. the erasure of this history and the whitewashing and sanitizing. And as Dr. Cornell West says, the deodorizing sure. of this yeah. history. And um, so there's so much that we'll be able to do together. So thank you. Um, thank your team and for everything that you've done to get us to, to this point. Well, I would say it um, it's a privilege to be a part of this. And I know my my team and my colleagues also feel the same way. And I know the leaders from the various organizations who actually flew here mm -hmm. to come and participate also feel the same way. It is, um, it's, it's part of, if that's your purpose and calling, of course, this is something that I know I want to personally pour my heart into, mm -hmm. you know, to be a part of. And, you know, like-minded people hang out together, right? right? And I think about when you call the right friends and right people, and we've met so many people together, right? Yeah. As this was coming together, it's, it's naturally, mm -hmm. right? Naturally going to happen. And I think it's this lesson that you're talking about as I hear you talk about having a reckoning with our past. And I think, you know, for human beings, and I feel like having been in the sp people space and corporate and human resources and coaching and mentoring a lot of people coming up in their careers, for example, mm -hmm. and also um, creating pathways to opportunity for folks who maybe didn't think that they can go as far as they can right. you know, without that encouragement. I think a lot of it is just really coming complete with who you are and where you came from. Mm -hmm. I think that's so important. Mm -hmm. You know, we're talking about histories of families and I think as humans, you know, in order to move on and actually achieve and accomplish in life, I think it is about like, who are you? Right. And, you know, honor that. Yeah. Like understand that who you are and where you came from. And when I say that, you know, for me personally, it's like really, truly understanding the sacrifice that my parents made when they mm -hmm. immigrated here, they decided to have a family, all of that. But then to not ever hide that, like really be proud of that as painful as it may seem mm -hmm. or as proudful as it may seem. Yeah. I mean, honor all of that. Yeah. And then, and by doing so you can move on. Um, and actually go and pursue and create a life that you're passionate about. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm hearing it's just reminding me of your stories and everything that you're saying, but I'm saying to all of you, 
you know, relevance for you, although all of this is relevant, it's like, what can inspire people to just do greatness in the world is really get come complete with you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And also knowing where we come from. Yes. You know, we have to know where we come from in order to know where we're headed and everybody that's watching and listening to this conversation. And I, I started by saying, yeah. you know, we have greatness yes. flowing through our veins. All of us do. And history lives in each of us. But how do we carry that history forward? What will our great, great, great grandchildren say about us 150 years from now in this moment in time in which we find ourselves? Were we on the right side of history or on the wrong side of history? Unfortunately, my ancestors and all of the ancestors of the descendants that were with us this week were on the right side of history. And so we've got a lot of work to do. Um, the baton has been passed. That's right. Freedom's torch has been passed to us. And we've got to get running with it and, and, and make sure that we make this world a better place for our descendants. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think, um, and I nerded out with you just on a conversation leading up to this, you know, and many conversations we've had leading up to this week. But, you know, let's honor the birthday of Frederick Douglass, yeah. which is plus one, we're today on the 15th. And, you know, we are, and I had a random question. Did Frederick Douglass know that George, not George Washington, um, President Lincoln's birthday was on the 12th? Did he know that? Yeah, that he, he would have, okay. I, I'd never thought about yeah. that, but he, yeah. President Lincoln knew that he was born on the 12th. So Frederick okay. Douglass, I'm sure, must have known that his okay. birthday was Okay, so that's 12th. wild that like his little mom's little Valentine also chose a date two days after President Lincoln. But I will say yeah. that Frederick Douglass and Booker T. Washington were friends. And um, the last known letter that Frederick Douglass wrote the night before okay. he passed away, dated the night before he passed away, was to Booker T. Washington. Frederick Douglass went down to Tuskegee and gave a commencement address. Oh my goodness. And there's a photo. It's the only photo of Frederick Douglass actually speaking. And it's at Tuskegee. And you can see Booker T. Washington no on way. the stage. And little did they know, a little more than 50 years later, their descendants yes. would come together and married and and get married and they would become relatives. Now, of course, after they passed away, they right. never knew that they were relatives, right. but they became relatives. But that energy was put in there mm -hmm. in Tuskegee. Yep. Like that, that energy was there. Mm -hmm. And so I know that that's why they were supposed, you know, your grandparents parents, yeah. parents were supposed yeah. to meet. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Oh, I'm I'm nerding out on that. Um I would love to wrap, and I know we're kind of towards the end, but I think you told this amazing story at the White House, and um, you shared it again, you know, in all the talks that you've had going to grade schools about mm -hmm. that that young girl. I, I want her you to tell the story about, you know, how she raised her hand. And, oh yeah, 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 I, yeah. That story, and I then I'll that. just tell a really yeah. a quick another story that really illustrates the importance yeah. of education. Um, again, when we first got started, I was in Albany and I was in a barber sh shop with a group of um, teenage boys. And I told the story about Frederick Douglass hearing that education will unfit him to be a slave. And this young man looked at me and he said, if I could just describe what's going on in my mind right now, he said, it feels like a pitch black hallway with no windows, no doors, no way out. And he said, what you just, and I get chills thinking about this. He oh said, God. what you just described to me you have shown a little bit of light into my mental darkness. And now I have some hope. I know which way to point. I know that I can get out of this mental darkness. So again, 
these stories can inspire young people to believe that they can be and do anything possible. Yeah. Um, and then the story that you're talking about, it happened early on. And I love telling the story. Yeah. Uh, this young girl, I was in a classroom and um, she was 10 years old and she raised her hand and she's trying to get my attention and I'm in the middle of my thing and she's, she's you know got her hand up in the air and I finally call on her and she said, Mr. Morris, I want you to know that my, she's just proud. She's just laying it on me. She said, my great, 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 four greats grandmother. Yeah. I thought I had a lot of greats. She said she was born into slavery, taught herself to read and write in secret, and then became a successful businesswoman and a philanthropist. And she knew what that word meant. She was proud to share it with me. And so she looked at me, she said, so do you know what all of this means? And before I had a chance yeah. to respond, she said, it means I have greatness flowing through my veins, just like you do. And we all have greatness flowing through our veins I love that. and leave it to, you know, the mouths of babes, a, a 10 year old girl that really set me on the course um, to do the work that I'm doing and to believe that we all have greatness flowing through our veins. I love that. And I think it's such an inspiring way to end our conversation. I wish we had hours and hours where we can continue to talk about this. But what I will also say is I think greatness as we kind of roll from here, and I know there are a lot of people who want to learn how to get involved. How can people get a hold of you? You know, what's the best way? The can, best way yeah. uh, for the, our organization, Frederick Douglass Family Initiatives is fdfi.org, which is the acronym for okay. Frederick Douglass Family Initiatives and then thedescendants.com. And we're going to be posting all of, you know, the videos and the pictures yes. that we've been taking um, this week and then building out that website and moving forward with this amazing project that we've got going on. I love it. So stay tuned, everyone. If you want to get a hold of Kenneth or the Descendants, you've got the info. We'll also post it up in the show notes. And I guess I'll leave it with, there's a lot of work to do. Yeah. You know, I think it starts with each one of us to really do the work for ourselves. And I think when all else fails, I always love to share this because it's a wild um, environment right now, right? There's like mm -hmm. agita amongst people because of the um, polarization, I'll just mm -hmm. say that, and everyone having different points of views. I always would love to end with, look, when all else fails, don't forget the platinum rule. You know, in, in, in school, we learn the golden rule, mm -hmm. you know, in grade school, it's like, okay, treat people the way you want to be treated. Really, it's treat people the way they want to be treated. Mm -hmm. Level it up. Yeah, level it up. And if all else fails, just choose kindness. Choose kindness. So <laughs> with that, I'm just going to thank you. I heart you. And uh, it's a privilege to call you my friend and yes. be your friend and just be involved in, in your orbit. My Thank friend. you. Yes. Thank you, Marisa. I oh my goodness. It. Yes. Thank you so much. And we'll see you later, everybody at our next culture cast, which actually is in an hour from now. Yeah. So, you've yeah. got a whole full day That's of right. uh, interviews. Yeah. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank Appreciate you. It. All right.